0: Hi, and welcome to the Dress That Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. How are y'all doing? Good. So if you haven't met me yet, I'm the super cool, hip minister on staff who uh, preaches in all black and it gets the handheld mic. Um, my name is Mikey Smith. I am our student minister here at Trailside Church. Um, if you haven't noticed every Sunday, about half of our students gather in this area around right here um, and worship our hearts out. I'm super proud of them. But there's a few special people in the crowd that I'm going to introduce. I, I have an opportunity to, to speak on Sunday morning about two or three times a year here. Uh, I spoke back in July and Maybe 5% of y'all were here for that. Um, so there's a lot of new faces here. Um, and then I spoke almost a year ago, back in January at the middle school. And I don't think any of you were here for that. Um, but my mom is here. She is in the back yeah, She just said, geez, if you heard her. Um, my mom is here, her and her boyfriend are here. Um, they drove up yesterday from Charleston. That's where I'm from. My dad is here. He's the big, bald guy with the goatee uh, in the back right. His dad is here. Uh, My granddad is here and he's the guy who looks like my dad 30 years from now. Um, And my lovely Mima is here as well. They drove down this morning. They live up in Marion, North Carolina. So I'm super happy that they are here this morning. Um, Growing up, I I say this every time I preach. I was an athlete growing up, and so all my references are sports related. Um, So growing up, I was an athlete. I played a lot of sports and um, my, my main sport was, was basketball. I played that for the longest um, and it was hard to give that one up. But one thing that never has, has never made sense to me in sports is the way time works. Let me, let me explain. I, 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 in basketball, for example, played four eight minute quarters in high school. That's as, that's as far as I went. Played four eight minute quarters. So it's at 36 minutes of a game And if you end up in a tie, you go to overtime, for those of you who don't know. You go to overtime and if that ends up in a tie, you go to double overtime all the way until someone wins. But the the way as as a player, someone in the game, and I know as fans who have watched and, and, and my dad who coaches, time is always really weird in overtime. It's only like five minutes of play, but it takes like 45 minutes. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense. How, how does, it feels so much longer than the 36 minutes of regu, regulation time. And, and, and then does, this doesn't make sense to me. Uh, about a month ago, when um, the unranked South Carolina Gamecocks walked into Georgia Stadium, and um, I can't even brag because we suck, but walked into Georgia Stadium and took down number three team in the nation with a third string quarterback. That game went into overtime, two overtimes, double overtime, Shouldn't have, but it did. And I called my dad, I was in my dorm watching the game. And I I called my dad for the last two minutes of um, regulation time and into overtime. I called my dad and we were watching the game together because again, he's down in Charleston. And that entire time for the last two minutes of regulation and the double overtimes, we were on the phone for an hour and a half. And we like, it doesn't make sense. Time doesn't make sense in sports in overtime. It doesn't make sense. Um, for those of you who, who don't watch sports or play sports, didn't grow up, overtime feels a lot like trying to watch a pot of water boil. You know that phrase, don't, don't, don't watch a pot of water boil, because it won't? It feels a lot like that. You sit there and you stare for like 30 seconds, and it feels like an hour, and nothing ever happens. That's what overtime feels a lot like. So just to bring you into the sports world, that's what overtime feels a lot like, and from that, I, I, learned, ooh, I learned that time never makes sense when it doesn't meet our preference, right? Time never makes sense when it doesn't meet our preference. We're going to be in Exodus 9 this morning, continuing our series, um, eight days. Last week, we kicked it off for those of you who weren't here with uh, Sean Guida, our head pastor, talked about the call of Moses, and I get the lovely privilege of preaching on the best part of Exodus. Um, Not the best part, but one of the better parts of Exodus, the 10 plagues. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm excited. So we're in Exodus 9, verses 8 through 12. This is the sixth plague um, in, in the land of Egypt, and I'll pick up. It should be on the screens or in our app. If you have that, I will pick up. And verse 8 says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of suits from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in stores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Verse 10, So they took suit from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out and sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So what's going on here? It's 10 plagues in the land of Egypt. Let me provide some context for you guys. Up to this point, as we heard last week, Israel had been, enslaved for 400 years, 430 years in the land of Egypt. But how did they get there? Well, there was a lovely man, my favorite story in the entire Bible of the the scriptures that I have read, I've not read the entire Bible, but of the scriptures that I have read, my favorite story is a man named Joseph in the Old Testament. The end of Genesis, he comes in, this man named Joseph, he's got 11 brothers, the son of Jacob, who would go on to be named Israel, renamed Israel son of Jacob. And Joseph was the youngest, was the favorite, was the favorite son. And, and um, his 11 brothers didn't like it. But one day, Joseph had these two dreams. And one of them, was like, my uh, stock of corn will stand up above all y'all and you will bow down before me. And, and, and another, his second dream was similar to that. He told it to his, uh, his brothers. And well, they hated him after that because they were like, oh, so you're going to rule over us one day. And um, so they hated him after that. Well, one day, Joseph's brothers were working off somewhere in some other land, and um, Joseph's dad, Jacob, sent Joseph to check on them and to see them. And he gets there, and they see him coming from a distance, and they're like, hey, let's kill him. And um, basically, they're like, hey, let's kill him. And then uh, his other brother, one of his other brothers, is like, no, 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 can't do that. His blood can't be on our hands. He's our brother. We can't do that. We'll just... We'll just throw him in a pit somewhere and leave him there and tell dad that some beast got him. That's what we'll do. So they do that. They throw him in a pit, leave him, leave him for dead. They go back to their home where Jacob is, the father, like, oh, this terrible thing happened. Uh, Joseph's dead. Father weeps, all that stuff. Well, Joseph doesn't die. He gets picked up out of the pit and actually sold into slavery. Um, He gets sold into slavery in the land of Egypt. He gets sold um, to a man named Potiphar. And there's this constant theme throughout the story of Joseph. There's this constant theme that, and the Lord was was with Joseph. And that's what it's constantly saying. The Lord was with Joseph. And so he's in Potiphar's house. He's a slave in Potiphar's house. Well, again, Potiphar notices that the Lord is with Joseph. Good stuff happens around this guy. And um, so Potiphar said, you know what? When I'm not home, when I'm out on business, I'm going to make you man of the house. All right, cool. So one day, Potiphar's out. Business makes Joseph man of the house. Um, Potiphar's wife then and tries to entice Joseph to sleep with her. Um, Joseph says no. In fact, he flees from her. He runs from her, and she rips off a piece of his garment. And then Potiphar comes home, and she's like, "Yo, Potiphar, look, Joseph tried to rape me. I have a piece of his garment." Accused him of rape. So then Joseph gets thrown in jail. Well, the same theme, and the Lord was with Joseph, and and it was good. Um, happened there. And so Joseph was then promoted in jail, essentially. Um, and one day, these two fellow inmates who had come from, the, from Pharaoh's palace, were in prison with Joseph. Um, they had these two dreams, and Joseph interpreted them. Joseph said, all right, here's the deal. You're going to get promoted back to your job in Egypt, and you're going to die. Um, that's that basically what it boils down to. Well, he was right. The one who said he was going to die, died. The one who said he would be reinstated into his position in the palace was reinstated. And so they go back to the palace. Joseph is still in prison. Some years later, Pharaoh in, in the palace in Egypt has this dream and doesn't know what it means. And, well, the guy who was in prison, who was then reinstated, said, well, hey, I was in prison and had this dream. And this guy interpreted it for me and he got it right nailed it on the head. Let's get him. So Joseph comes. He, Pharaoh tells him the dream. Joseph, Joseph interprets it for him. He says, look, here's the deal. There's going to be seven good years. There's going to be seven years of surplus, of abundance, and then there's going to be seven bad years of nothing, famine. He was right. So when, he, when Potiphar saw that he was right, Potiphar then promoted him up to second in command over Egypt, over all the land of Egypt, Joseph. So all this over a span of about 13 years from the moment he was left for dead to the moment he was promoted, I think it's Genesis 42, when he was promoted to... Um, his position in the, in the palace, about 13 years. Well, again, that seven years of famine hit, so Joseph's family, Joseph's 11 brothers, came to the palace in search of surplus because they had gathered everything in the seven years of good. So seven years of bad come, Joseph's family comes to the palace, his brothers, his 11 brothers come in search of um, uh, provision, and they, they come before Joseph 13 years later. They don't recognize him. He does. Eventually, he reveals himself, to to them, says, I'm your brother. They fall on their knees, they weep, they beg, they ask for forgiveness. He says this really cool thing. He's like, I'm not God, I can't forgive you. And then he goes on to say this really, really cool thing. One of my favorite verses, he says, what you did, he said, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good to bring about the present result, the saving of many lives. Yada, yada, really great family restoration there. Really cool story. Then Genesis ends, that's Genesis 50. And Exodus picks up and Exodus one, we're going I'm gonna read it. I won't be on the screen, I don't think, but I'm gonna read it. Exodus one picks up, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph's gone, he's died, there's this new king, this new Pharaoh over Egypt. Verse nine says, And he he said to this people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us, because they all gathered in the land of Egypt during the when this famine hit. Uh, too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh for store cities, um, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and, they, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel working as slaves. And made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So famine hits, people of Israel travel to get to to Egypt to get this food, to get this surplus. While they're there, they stay there. However many years pass, we don't know. They become this great, great multitude of people. New Pharaoh rises, he's threatened, he says, look, this isn't going to fly, they're going to be our slaves. So they enter into slavery. And then hop over to Exodus 2, verse 23 says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The Pharaoh who kind of instituted the slavery died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew, (laughs) whatever that means. And God knew. So, slavery is instituted. Go through slavery. Pharaoh, who does it, dies. At the end of of his death, they cry out, God, what's going on? We need you. Do you see us? This sucks. God says, you know what? I see you. I I see you. And I, I haven't forgotten the covenant that I made, Abraham with Isaac, with Jacob. Then we go over to Exodus 6. And this is the promise of deliverance God gives his people after 400 years of slavery. So, (laughs) put yourself in their shoes really quick. You get put in slavery. You get put in slavery. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how long that Pharaoh lived. Let's say he lived 50 years. You get put in slavery. 50 years of slavery, Pharaoh dies. You're still in slavery. You cry out, God, what's going on? What is happening? We need you. He's like, you know what? I remember you. I remember the covenant. And then 350 years later, Exodus 6, the promise of deliverance comes. It says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they live as sojourners, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I wouldn't either. That long? All that slavery? I'd be like, yeah, right. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his hand. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I'm of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And so God does it anyways because he said he would, in his time though. In his time. So, it's hard for me to read this to know all of that and not sympathize with the Israelites. Um, 400 years of slavery, God comes in and says, you know, I see you. I, I know this sucks. 400 years later, he says, all right, I'm coming. It's time. It, it's going to happen. And they don't believe. And he does it anyways. But first, we have the 10 plagues. Um, first, God, Exodus 6, promises deliverance. They don't, they don't leave the land of Egypt until Exodus 12. And in between that, We have the 10 plagues that take place in the land of Egypt first before they can be set free. So the most common answer for how long those plagues lasted, there were 10 plagues, what, maybe a week, two weeks, probably couldn't have taken that long. Four to five months is about how long those plagues lasted. About five months is about how long they lasted. That was, I don't know them all, but livestock, death of the livestock, Nile turn the nile into blood. Boils, as we read, gnats, locusts, eventually all up to the death of the firstborn being the 10th plague. Four to five months, that lasts. And so I I bet you for the Israelites who had been enslaved for 400 years, God says, you know what? I'm coming, it's happening. I'm gonna set you free, Exodus 6, it's coming, but hold on, wait five more months. Give me five more months. I bet you that five months felt a heck of a lot like overtime for the Israelites. You know, time must have stood still, right? Like, man, time must have stood still. You ever felt like that, though? You know, other than actually being in a literal overtime, have you ever felt like your life has just been in overtime? Time just stood still. Maybe you haven't been experiencing any major amount of suffering, like the Egyptians, or maybe you have. Maybe your overtime looks a heck of a lot like bills that unexpectedly hit or expected bills that are just weighing over you. I know I don't have any bills, but I've got parents. I do. Maybe your overtime looks a lot like your job. You're just in a place, 9-5, clock in, clock out, feeling like you've fulfilled Whatever. At that job, you're not doing anything, or maybe it looks a lot like the loss of a loved one 10 years ago, but it feels like yesterday. His time has frozen. Whatever your overtime looks like, time has probably frozen, right? So, how does all of that relate to the series, eight days, God's timing? Well, before I answer that, I want to define what I mean real quick when I say God's timing. I don't mean, because God exists outside of our time, 24 hours, seven day a week, uh, 24 hour day time. He exists outside of that. When I say God's timing, I don't mean what God plans to do at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon. It's not what I mean. When I say God's timing, here's what I mean. I mean his sovereign will over all creation, everything that happens, when it happens, how it happens, to whom it happens to, everything is God's timing. Falls under God's will. And it's really easy to believe that. And, it's in, and we even want to believe that when life is good, right? We even want to believe that when, when, when job is good, when family is good. All you have to do is go on Facebook and see anybody posting, praise Jesus, got a promotion, or going on vacation, praise Jesus. That's great. So easy to believe that. Well, what about when divorce hits? Is God so good? Is time still good? Or unemployment? Or financial struggle? Or disappointment after disappointment? Setback after setback. What about, what about that? Is it still praise Jesus? Is everything still good? Last week we heard. I mean, what if you're Israel, right? Before I get to that, what if you're Israel and you're 400 years of suffering? And God says, all right, I'm coming. It's happening now. But give me five more months. Is he, still, is he still God? Is he still good? Is that timing still good in that five months? Last week, we heard that from Sean, that sometimes um, we, we think we're waiting on God, but really he's waiting on us to move and to act and to be faithful. Um, if you were here, you remember that. We heard that. This week, I want to tell you that sometimes waiting on God is exactly where you need to be. Right? Sometimes waiting on God is exactly where you need to be. Even if it's five months in, in Egypt, continuing suffering while ten plagues take place, or if it's divorce or grief, sometimes it's exactly where you need to be. And, and, and one thing that we need to know and believe is that the waiting is good, even if it sucks. Even, even if it looks like divorce or grief or disappointment, disappointment, whatever, whatever your waiting is, whatever it is that applies to your life, you know that. It's good. And we need to know that. And we need to believe that. And it's purposeful. Because the plagues were purposeful. And we're going to get to that later. But the 10 plagues had to happen. God could have just said, you know what? Remember what I read? God hardened the heart of Pharaoh in plague six and plague seven and eight and nine. God hardened his heart. Once you read that and you're like, whoa, but he did. The waiting is purposeful, the waiting is, is good. Let's see, our society has poorly defined this, this definition of good and what is good. And society says good is only good if it makes you feel good, if things look good. But church, as, as believers in the body, that, is, that cannot be our standard of good. Our standard of good is not how it makes me feel. Our standard of good must be, is God glorified? And if God is glorified, then it's good, aside from how it makes me feel. And you're not going to like this, but God is glorified in everything. Everything. God is glorified in everything. God is glorified in our waiting. Even when it's five months in Israel waiting for deliverance after 400 years of suffering, even when it's, Grief, that seems to be what's coming back to me. Even when it's grief, even when it's breakup for my students in the room, even when it's disappointment, unemployment, the waiting is good and God is glorified in that waiting. And today we read about plague six And again, plague six is really interesting because God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. When you read that and you're like, whoa, plague one, two, three, four, and five, Pharaoh hardened his own heart and his pride. Plague six, God hardened his heart. Plague seven, eight, nine, God hardened his heart. And plague 10, eventually the people of Israel are let go. But why is that? Why why did God harden his heart? We're never given a reason, but I'll tell you my theory. Um, And and maybe it's wrong. Okay, but I'll tell you my theory. I think that Pharaoh, um, I think that when it got to the end of plague six, when the boils hit, I think at that point, Pharaoh in his own selfish state had had enough and said, you know what? I don't want to deal with this anymore. Just take him, whatever. Just take him. But he wasn't brought to a point yet where he said, you know what? You are God. You are who you say you are. So that's why you can take him. I think Pharaoh's Pride had to be so broken, not even just Pharaoh, but Egypt's pride had to be so broken and and so destroyed, and it it hadn't been come plague six. It hadn't been yet. So God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, plague six, plague seven, plague eight, plague nine, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, plague ten, the death of the firstborn. It does it. It does it. And they're let go. They're set free. So what does that mean for us in relation to God's timing? And this is, you're not going to like it. I don't like it. It's uncomfy. But it's true. Church, God's timing is not set for your preference. God's timing is set for his glory. God's timing is not set for my preference. It's set for his glory. Because if it was set for my preference, I, I, I wouldn't have chosen a lot of things that happened. Uh, in our last series, No Perfect People, a lot of y'all are here for that. I love that series. One of my favorite series ever. But... Our good friend and elder Josh Bradford, who in his video, he had a week where we we talked about his life. He said something in his video that stuck with me. And he said, in regards to what he'd been through in his life, he said, you know, these are things that I wouldn't have chosen for myself, but I'm glad God chose them for me. That's what it looks like when I say, God's timing is not set for your preference. It's set for his glory. That is what I mean. So how are we to live excuse me, how are we to live in light of that, in light of that truth? How, how does that apply to us, knowing that His timing is not about us, it's about Him and His glory? What does that mean for us? How are we to live with that? Number one, we need to believe that freedom is always coming. Um, what I mean by that, if I don't explain this, it could sound a little prosperity gospel-ish, and that's not what I mean by it. <laughs> Aiden's clapping for me. But what I mean, listen, church, even if that freedom doesn't come until the other side of eternity, Whatever happens on the side of eternity, is, 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 is the side of eternity is such a small, small, small part of, of eternity in itself. What happens here, it's not about us. And we need to live knowing and believing that if you've been adopted into the kingdom of, of Jesus, you've been adopted into that kingdom. If you've been saved and Jesus has come in and changed your life, that freedom's always coming because, church, there's another side of eternity. Um, so we need to live knowing that that's coming. Number two, we need to humble ourselves under God's will. Whatever happens, happens on this side of eternity. Whatever happens, we need to humble ourselves under God's will because this side of eternity is not about us. This side of eternity is not for us. It's not about, I'll be honest with you, I'm going to say it. God doesn't care how you feel. God does not care how good you feel or how happy you are. God cares about how much he's glorified. He does not care about, he loves you, absolutely, absolutely. But he loves you enough to know that what's best for you is his glory, not yours. God does not care how good you feel on this side of eternity. He does not. We need to humble ourselves under God's will. Number three, (laughs) I love this one. We need to live with eternity in mind. We need to live with eternity in mind. There is so much more than this side, there is so much more. The waiting sucks. The pain sucks, the grief, it's not fun. Stuff like divorce and tragedy and loss and all that, it's not fun. No one likes it. But we need to live with eternity in mind, not tomorrow or, or next week or next year, eternity in mind, eternity in mind. We need to believe Paul when he writes in Romans 8, 28, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So church, the waiting is good, and it's exactly where you need to be, because if you love Jesus and Jesus loves you, it's happening for a reason. It sucks. It's not fun. But as Paul says, for those who love Jesus, all will work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, of those who have been adopted into his kingdom. And there's, yeah, there's RT. Um, But I'm gonna be honest with you guys. For some of you in this room, that scripture does not apply to your life. Not because it can't, because you don't love Jesus. Simply put it, um, and so I want to talk to you for a second. As I was reading this story, the whole exodus, you know, the Bible is a story, a cohesive story, cover to cover. Um, and as I was reading it, I was struggling. I was like, okay, who are we? Like, who, who am I in this story, you know? because I think the vast majority of Scripture can directly apply to our lives. And so I, I read this, and I'm like, who am I? How does this apply to me, right? And I think the most common answer is, well, we're the Israelites, duh. But I don't know. Are we? I think sometimes we are. Jesus, man. <laughs> I think sometimes, I think sometimes we are. I think sometimes we're the thing that needs freedom, the thing that needs to be set free. Now look at my life. I think sometimes I'm Pharaoh too, right? I think sometimes I'm the thing so daggum prideful, holding on to whatever God wants to let go and set free in my life. this is gonna get, follow me here. I think sometimes I'm both, right? I think sometimes I'm also the thing, I'm the thing that needs to be set free, but the thing holding me back as well, whether it be my pride enslaving me, or my anger enslaving me, or my past and my sin, 've committed enslaving me, whatever it is. sometimes I'm my own Pharaoh, holding myself back, enslaving myself. And I, And I think some of us in this room agree and would agree, and I think some of us in this room, the thing holding you back from letting go and loving Jesus is, is yourself, is your pride, your anger. Some of you have been burned and hurt by church. I get that, okay? But church isn't Jesus, right? Some of you have done some things in the past. I have done some things in the past. And the thought of that, the mere thought of that, you're like, the cross isn't for that. Right? That's what we think. Jesus isn't about that. Jesus can't redeem that. But, church, that's exactly what the cross is for. Jesus came, Jesus didn't come, Jesus didn't step out of his seat in heaven, come to earth live a perfect life for 33 years, go to the cross, die, raise again, defeat death, hell, and the grave, and see again on the right hand of the throne of God, all for you to just sit there and wallow in your pride or to sit there and hold on so, so tight to your past. No, He came to prove His authority over that. And in that set you free from your pride, from your anger, from whatever's happened to you. Jesus came to, to, to prove and say, I'm more than that. I can do more than that. To prove his authority over that. And so the, the question is, whether you love Jesus or not, the question is, what is your Pharaoh? What is, what is inside of you? And you're clinging so tight to, that is holding you back, Taking that step, that is holding you back from acknowledging God for who He truly is. Because I wouldn't want what happened to Pharaoh to happen to you. That's fair. I wouldn't want when well, you, <laughs> you read in Romans 9 that Pharaoh's we read in Romans 9 that. Pharaoh's sole purpose. He was, he was created for destruction. You read that, Romans 9. And I wouldn't want that to be your life because 10 plagues suck. <laughs> I wouldn't want that for you. And so my, my challenge and my plea to you this morning, church, my challenge and plea Not that you love Jesus. I want you to. But you got to do something for that. My challenge and plea is that just for a few moments, in these next few moments, as Sunday goes on, as a week goes on, let go. Right? Let go. Let go of what you've been through, what's happened to you. And watch and find yourself in the same place that Joseph found himself. Where you look at what happened to you, where you look at who's hurt you, where you look at what you've done and you say, hey, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. To bring about the present result saving of your life, let go, that old phrase, let go and let God, just let go, just for a few moments, just try, it's hard, believe me, I know, I spent three years holding so tight to my anger for something that I've been through, for stuff that my family has been through, so so long. Three years walking around living like I knew better than Jesus. Until I let go. And I want that for you guys. Church. I want that for y'all. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Um, for your goodness God thank you for who you are your character and how you love us Um, God I pray I pray this morning Father that you reveal to us what it is within us that we need to let go of. I pray this morning, God, that you create an atmosphere of freedom with your presence, God, that you break us like you broke Pharaoh and bring us to a, a, a point in our life where we can stand like Joseph and say what he said to his brothers, God, that you meant it for good, that your hand was behind it the whole time, God I thank you for what we go through in our life that we don't understand that doesn't make sense the hurt Father knowing that your hand is behind it the whole time because you are God and we're not and because you seek and desire your glory not ours I thank you for that I thank you that you love us enough to know that your glory is what's best for us not ours, not our comfort, <laughs> not our happiness, but your glory, God. And sometimes to get to that point, we've got to go through a lot. So I thank you for what we've been through. I Thank you for that. God, I thank you that you used it for your glory. I pray this moment that you reveal that to us, God, that you set us free, Father, that you, that you do exactly what you came here to do, and that is prove your authority over whatever it is we cling so close to, whether it be anger, pride, or our past. God, do what you can do, and what only you can do with that. We love you. I see your name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person or... Help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified. Check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.